Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to uh, the, um, the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. And it's, 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 uh, fit, see, okay, um, it's, it, it's fitting that we, we spent the night, uh, giving awards for, uh, young people who memorize God's word. Back in the dark ages, in 1982, um, I was in Awana's version of what today is TNT Boys, okay, um, as a fifth grader, okay, now don't, don't start doing math in your head to try to figure out how old I am, just, I'm, I'm old, um, and the, pro- the program back then was called Pioneers, okay, uh, when I came into Pioneers, um, I was shocked because the key verse in Pioneers was three whole verses long, okay, so no more of these, these small one verse key verses, um, and so wow, I, I was in the, the big boys club now. Um, that three verse key verse is what we're going to look at um, tonight. Um, it's Titus 2, 11 through 13, and I'm actually going to throw verse 14 um, in for us uh, tonight because uh, 14, uh, verse 14 completes the thought and finishes uh, the, the paragraph. But Titus 2 in chapter 11, uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 starts, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and Holy Heavenly Father, as we we come to your word tonight, Lord, I, I pray that you would help help give us understanding. But Lord, I pray that you would also challenge our hearts uh, to, to obey and follow you. Lord, if there's, there's someone here tonight that does not know you as Savior, Lord, I, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge and work in the hearts of Christians tonight, that we would uh, choose to live godly lives uh, to, uh, uh, in honor and glory of you. Give us a great night in your word tonight. In your name we ask it. A- amen. So we, we uh, start off with this verse. Okay, the first verse, uh, so the first word in that verse is for. Now, when I teach our kids how to study the Bible, I teach them to look look for words like therefore, because, however, and in this case, for, okay, because for indicates something that came before this. Uh, what, What Paul is saying is, I'm about to give you the basis or the foundation of everything that came before this. Uh, the book of Titus is just a short uh, three-chapter letter written to uh, Paul's associate. And can you guess what his name was? Yeah, yeah, you guessed it. Titus. Titus was tasked with raising pastors and training pastors um, in every city in the area of, of, of Crete. Um, with the beginnings of the church and especially the doctrinal errors that were popping up everywhere the gospel spread, training good pastors was critical. By the way, this is something that's very critical in our world today. With a number of churches um, without pastors already, 
And the large number of pastors that are reaching retirement age with so few pastors to take their place, America is racing toward a precipice. Okay? Can you imagine a country with so many sinfully disgusting philosophies and then having half of the Bible-preaching churches having to close their doors because we don't have pastors to fill the pulpits? This is one of the reasons why Tri-City uh, Tri is so um, invested, heavily invested, in uh, raising up a generation of young people to love and serve uh, the Lord. Um, it is, it is um, this generation of these guys over here that disproportionately, um, we, we need a disproportionately large number of pastors to fill the gap. Uh, we have too long encouraged young people by our examples and by our priorities, that they can have it all, that they can religiously pursue the American dream as long as they show up once in a while to church and call that serving God. Um, understand my heart. No, you, you don't have to be a pastor to serve the Lord, but folks, we desperately need pastors and, uh, and young men and young ladies that are serving God with their li lives. We can no longer afford to say that's someone else's kid's job. Uh, let someone else do that. Okay? Um, sorry, that was just a little bit of a soapbox. That wasn't my message tonight. But we, we need to raise a generation of pastors and teachers that can fill those that are retiring. So Titus was tra uh, training pastors. Um, in Titus uh, chapter 1, Paul directs Titus to the qualifications um, of a pastor. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, um, he, he actually tells, uh, uh, tells Titus what to preach. Okay, so he, he was telling uh, him what to have the pastors preach. So he was giving them the qualifications of pastors and then giving them the, the first three or four years of sermons. Okay, uh, he, he, was, he told um, uh, Titus to, uh, to teach them to teach this to the old men and teach this to the old ladies and teach this to the young women and teach this to the, um, the, the, um, the old women. And then in verse 11, we come to uh, the, the, that word for. He was uh, asking Titus to preach these things, the way to have victorious living in the Christian life. And then he comes to uh, verse 11 and starts with for. This is the basis. This is the un underlying foundation of a godly life. For the grace of God that brings salvation. God's saving grace is that foundation for a godly life. Now, gr um, growing up, um, I um, was taught this as, as kind of like an organization um, of, of, of these, these, uh, these th uh, three verses. Verse 11 talks about the past aspect of salvation, salvation from the penalty of sin. Um, that's the word justification. Verse 12, we're, we're talking about living in this present age, salvation from the power of sin or sanctification. Um, and then ver verse 13, that future aspect um, of salvation from the, the presence of sin. We'll, we'll see Jesus face to face and be like him. Uh, the word we can use for that is glorification. And I think we generally understand this when it comes to sal uh, salvation, especially verses uh, 11 and, and 13. When, when we ask Jesus to save us from our, our sins, uh, when we come to that place where we, we know that we're a sinner and that sin separates us from a holy God, and, and we, we um, know that we have no uh, merit in and of ourselves to earn salvation with God, and we come to him and ask him to save us from our sins, we, we understand that um, he... 
saves us from that penalty of sin, and we stand before him uh, justified. Um, and, and we also understand that that, that, that keeps us from um, spending eternity um, in hell. But, and we, we also understand that, that some things happen when we get saved, and, and we become a part of God's family, and, and we have an eternal home with him in heaven. But how the gospel and, and, and the saving grace of Christ affect our everyday life, our, our jobs, our, our education, um, our relationships, um, our hobbies, this can be a little harder to grasp. And, and, and even if we understand it mentally, that, that it's God's grace, that it's, that it's the power of his salvation, it's the power of the gospel in our lives that helps us live the Christian life, a lot of times we, we don't work that out in our life. We get so focused on the things of this world that we, we forget. We um, are distracted and we're, we're focused with the other um, to- um, focuses and toils of this world. The gospel is not just a fire escape from hell and a ticket to heaven. It must be, as Paul emphasized, a part of this present age, a part of your everyday life. And so tonight, uh, very briefly, we're going to look at the fact that you must allow the saving grace of Christ to impact not just your future, not just your past, but your now, your tomorrow, your tomorrow morning when you wake up grumpy, your tomorrow afternoon when you've been ticked off by a co-worker, your tomorrow evening when you're trying to, to get your kids to go to bed and they're, they're on your last nerve. The gospel must impact our lives now. So let's, let's start uh, by, by first looking at um, the, 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 the saving grace of Christ can impact our everyday life by understanding the magnitude of that saving grace. By understanding the magnitude of that saving grace. So let's first look at Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. What, so first of all, what, what is grace? What are we, are we talking about with that grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's the pouring out of God's loving kindness on undeserving sinners. I, I love what um, A.W. Tozer says about grace. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. It's used to us sinful men is to save us and to make us sit together in heavenly places and to demonstrate to the ages the exceeding riches of God's kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That grace, that, that amazing grace that we, we love to sing about, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, we sing about the amazing, the wonderful, the marvelous, the free, the wondrous great greatness of, of God's grace, that he poured out to us on Calvary. We sing about it, but we often forget about the magnitude of that grace in our everyday life. Uh, When Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Uh, Graham admitted his guilt, uh, but was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. 
the judge asked, are you guilty or not guilty? When Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, uh, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the limit. This was obviously a long time ago. Uh, I, I think uh, the last speeding ticket that, not that I got, but that my wife got um, <laughs> in, she's not here, so don't tell her I said that, in California it was over $600. Okay, so $10 for, for speeding, that's, that's actually pretty good. Uh, the judge just says guilty or not, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the, uh, the speed limit. Suddenly, the judge recognized the famous minister. You have violated the law, he said. A fine must be paid, but I am going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill out of his own wallet, attached it to the ticket, and took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. <laughs> that, Billy Graham said, is how God treats repentant sinners. Okay? I, I love that as an illustration about how, how the, um, the judge paid the penalty for, uh, for his sin. But can, can I tell you something? As, as, as I read that, I, I, I was a little bit um, discouraged because it didn't really grasp the magnitude of grace that God poured out on us. Okay? You know, we, we aren't celebrities in a court that a judge decides to pay our, our, our bill and then take us out to dinner. Um, the judge paid the debt, and that, that, that was great. But we stand before God as sinners condemned with no hope of paying the debt. Uh, John 3, 18 says, He who does not believe um, is condemned already, but he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We stand before God, not as folks that, you know, did a few, a few wrong things, but as condemned sinners. We are not celebrities, but we are actually enemies of God. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, For, um, for scarcely, uh, for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Okay? So think about that for a second. What, who or what would you be willing to die for? Well, would you be willing to die for a family member? Probably. Uh, you know, and he said, scarcely would someone be willing to die. Would you be willing to die for a, a righteous man? That, that's a possibility, and, and possibly even a good man. Um, in, in the United States, we, we have men who have fought and died for ideals like, like freedom. But would you be willing to die or to sacrifice your own son for an enemy? The verse goes on in verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were his enemy. Christ died for us when, when we were in rebellion against him. Um, the Bible says that you are a sinner, and that sin separates you from a holy God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible also tells us that God is holy. And what, is, what does it mean that God is holy? That it means that he is perfect and uh, separate from sin. He will not let sin in his presence. A holy God absolutely hates sin. Sin is an abomination to a holy God. All who behave unrighteously are an abomination to the Lord. These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. Even though our God is a loving God, he is also a holy God and a just God, and he cannot excuse and just let sin go. The Bible tells us that he will not even allow sin 
in his presence. But you, um, and our God is holy. Our sins have separated us from a holy God. It's, it's almost like there's a force field keeping us from God. Your sin separates you from a holy God. Now, I've heard people say, and I, you might think to yourself, well, I, I'm not that bad, okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a good husband. I, I, I take care of my, uh, my wife. Um, I, I don't do any of the really big or, or, or bad sins. And it, when we have ideas like that, okay, um, sometimes living in a sinful world, it's easy for us to look to the left and to the right and think, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not bad as someone else. But we're not comparing ourselves to the person that's on the left. We're not comparing ourselves to the person that's on the right. We're comparing ourselves to a holy God. I, I use this illustration with, uh, uh, with the kids. It's, it's a little silly, but um, in, in the air right now, there are tiny little dust particles, okay? As, as, as much as, you know, we like to try to get, get rid of them, they're, um, they're there. If you, you know, got up close to some of the lights, you could see it's may, maybe not that bad, but there are tiny dust particles in the air right now. Um, in manufacturing, okay, the, um, especially things like uh, manufacturing uh, microchips, um, there, there's a need to create clean rooms that remove all of those uh, tiny little dust particles out, out of the air. So the air in there is like 99.9999999% um, clean so that those dust particles don't get in and ruin the, that thing which it's being manufactured. And, and actually sometimes can even ruin the machines that are doing the manufacturing. Okay? So keep that clean room in your mind for just a second. And then I want to introduce you some, something that, you know, a Dr. Seuss-like world. Okay? It's a place that I call Mudville. Okay? And Mudville is a place where everybody lives in mud. Okay? They, uh, they eat in mud, they sleep in mud, they play in mud, they, they have a you know, great time in their, their vehicles in mud. And I want you to introduce you to Charlie, okay? This is Charlie. Charlie is actually the cleanest boy in Mudville, okay? The layer of mud on his skin, okay, is, um, you know, thinner than everyone else's, um, uh, what is it, uh, mud on, on, on their skin. So he is absolutely the cleanest boy in Mudville. Now imagine with me for a second that Charlie is walking down the hall toward that clean room. And with, with each step, squish, 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 there's, there's a, a trail of muddy footprints behind him. He comes to the door to the clean room, and he takes his, his fist, and he begins to knock on that, that door. And has, as he does, you know, mud starts going off of his hand onto that, that door. My, my, my question is, would, would they let Charlie into that clean room? And the answer to that is, is obviously not. Even though Charlie was the cleanest boy in Mudville, he looked to the left and looked right and said, I have less mud on me than anyone anywhere else. He was nowhere close to the uh, near perfection that was needed to come into that clean room. And folks, that is how we are standing before a holy God. You, you, you may be good by the world's standards, but when you stand before a holy God, you're, you're, you're like that boy from, from Mudville, okay? Uh, we are sinners separated 
uh, from a holy God. And folks, it, it gets worse than that. Okay? This, is, this is what God um, th- th- uh, thinks. Because of our sin, there is a penalty that goes along with that. If we, if we stay in our sin, uh, we, we will have earned and we would deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell because of that sin. God did not create um, hell, but we brought sin into this world, and because of our sin, we deserve to be there. But there's good news, okay? That grace that we talked about, even though we're enemies of God, even though um, we stand condemned before a holy God, that same God loves us so much that he was willing to do something to help us in our uh, predicament. He was willing to pour out his grace on us, but he could not, as a just God, just let our sin go. He can't say, oh yeah, just come on into my heaven. As a just God, there had to be a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But he was wounded for our transgressors. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not do that for us. We spent uh, uh, several weeks uh, talking about the sovereignty of God uh, with with your kids, and we we, uh, told the story leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus was in complete control when he went to the cross. The, uh, the Romans did not hold him there on the cross. He willingly went there. It was his choice. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And God made a, a way that we could have that eternal life, that we could take care of our sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, and that's, that's, that's God the Father, made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty that you deserve because of your sin. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he gives us his righteousness. He pours out his grace on us so that um, as, as a repentant sinner, we can stand before a holy God, not condemned, but justified. We need to understand the magnitude of that grace. God required his only son to die on a cross for you. That's how much your sin means to a holy God. And so, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It uh, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It is only by the grace of God. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is not something that is just for uh, uh, the wealthy. It's not uh, something uh, for, for, for any particular race or nation. Anyone can accept Christ as Savior. But Christians, we must live the Christian life by that same grace. Okay? Did, do you get that? Sometimes after we're saved, we, we have this idea that, that now that I stand justified before God, you know, I, I'm okay. And it's not that big of a deal, the sins that come into my life. Uh, yeah, I might have a little bitterness, maybe a little lust, a little selfishness, a little anger, a little pride. It's not that big of a deal 
because God's already taken care of it for me, hasn't he? Oh, we must understand the magnitude of the grace that was poured out of, for us in salvation. And because of that, because of what Jesus did for us, the only response that we have is to live a life of holiness for him. So it leads us to, the, uh, to our second point, um, that uh, you must allow the saving grace of Christ to impact your everyday life, first by understanding the magnitude of the saving grace, but by, number two, by allowing saving grace to teach you in this present age. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 12 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present age. The Bible tells us that grace is our, our teacher. Now, that, that, that word is, 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 is um, like, uh, uh, almost like, uh, like the word trainer. It's, it has the idea of a father lovingly teaching his children. So it's not just education. It's, it's correction. It's a um, pushing toward uh, godly living. Because of the grace that was powered out on us as condemned sin- sinners with no hope of salvation, our, our only appropriate response is living a godly life, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Now, this is contrary to the popular opinion today among some evangelicals. Um, grace is not a license to do whatever I want. Our, our generation has this wrong idea, this wrong view of what legalism really is. They toss around the word legalism. Legalism is the attempt to earn favor with God by keeping the law or by keeping rules. Our generation shouts out legalism anytime somebody talks to them about holiness or standard, um, a holy standard of living. Okay? Oh, you're being legalistic. Grace, grace, grace. I'm in the grace, not the law. Look at what verse 12 says that grace teaches us. It says that um, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Okay? We, we are called to, um, to, uh, to deny the things of this world. Grace okay, is not a license to pursue love or crave after the things of this world. Okay? It is exactly the opposite Okay? We are to deny ungodliness and the cravings, the lusts of this world. And then, and then after that, there's a call to holiness. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Okay, so what, what, is, what is soberly talking about? Okay, that's, that's self-control, self-mastery, or a holiness that's pointed internally. What, what is righteousness talking about? That's, that's holiness in dealing with the others that are around us, righteous living, how we interact with our neighbors. What, what, what is godliness talking about? That's, that's talking about holiness in our devotion to God. Okay, over and over, we're, we're, we're commanded from this verse that grace doesn't teach us that we have a license to go after everything that this world tells us is important. Grace teaches us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and that we, we need to pursue holiness in our Christian living. The standard of grace... The standard that grace asks for, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, actually supersedes the law. Okay? Grace compels us to holy living far more than the law ever did. So grace is not, it's not a license to do whatever it is that you want. 
here's a couple of ways that we as Christians kind of get in trouble with grace. Sometimes we presume on the grace of Christ. Now, we wouldn't come out and say this, but I want, to, I want you to think for a moment. Have, have you been in a situation where you've been tempted to sin? And, and the thought kind of creeps into your mind, I, I know I shouldn't do that, but I am saved. And if I ask Christ to forgive me, he will. And we presume on the grace of Christ. We presume on his sacrifice for us. Oh, folks, we, um, <clears throat> Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. It's, it's the, the, the greatest uh, negative that you can have in the, uh, in the Greek language. God forbid. God's grace was not given to us so that we could presume upon it and live the way that we want in this world and pursue the loss and the pleasures of this, this world. So sometimes we presume on the grace of Christ. Um, other times, especially in Christian community, um, we presume on the grace of others, other Christians. Well, they're a Christian, okay? They, they should have showed me grace when I did this and, and so, okay? Um, we have a lot of educational institutions around here. We, we, we have, a, have a school, we have a college, and um, sometimes, okay, moms and dads, okay, we... Um, we do this with our, our kids and their, their teachers. Um, we, we presume upon the grace. Even though the standard says that uh, they broke a rule, okay, we, we presume upon the fact that, oh, they're a Christian, they should show grace. They should let them get away with it, whether they're repentant or not. Uh, we have a few of our uh, college students uh, still here, uh, but an example I would use is sometimes we presume upon the grace of our professors and our, our room leaders I, I was only 15 minutes late for curfew. Uh, you should show grace to me. And we turn the grace of God into a mockery. No, Christian, the, 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 the grace of God was given to us to teach us to deny ungodliness and really lust. It's our teacher that, that teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then finally tonight, we must allow the saving of grace, uh, grace of Christ to impact our life, our, our everyday life, by focusing on the goal and the finish line of, of saving grace. Let's, um, let's look at verse 13 and 14. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Sometimes we get so focused on the world that we live in, our hopes, our dreams, our future, all seem to be based on what this world has to offer. We are looking for that retirement. We are looking for that next bigger home. We're looking for that next faster car. Folks, this, this world is not our hope. This world is, is not our home. Our time here is short, and yet we live like this is our goal. Okay? Um, here in our church, our, our theme this year is um, investing in eternity. Our, our finish line and our goal is, is not retirement. I'm, it, it's, it's not travel. 
Okay? It's not getting our kids through college um, and getting them to the place that they can support us. Although, as I get older, that seems uh, more and more important to me. Um, our goal okay, is an eternity with Christ. Our, our time here on, on earth is so short, and yet we, we focus all of our time and our energies on the things of this world when we ought to be focusing on laying up treasures in heaven, investing for eternity, and doing the things that God says are eternally lasting, looking for that blessed hope. When I was about 10 years old, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if my dad remembers this, but uh, I, 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 we watched a movie on, on, on TV. I think it had something to do with aliens. And uh, when, when I went to bed um, that night, um, I started getting scared. Okay? No, it, it wasn't because of the, the movie I watched, because okay? I thought aliens were actually kind of cool. But the, uh, the, the movie reminded me of the things that I knew grow, growing up in, um, in, in church about the end of the world. And as I was laying in bed, I, I was thinking about the rapture. I was thinking about Christ coming again. And, and, and can, I, can I share with you the, um, the wrong thoughts of my heart? I, I began to get worried. I, I don't want Christ to come again. Okay, and, and here's why I didn't want Christ to come again. I was 10 years old. I had never driven a car before. Okay? I, 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 you know, I, I wanted to grow up and have you know, a house of my own and a TV of my own and, and video, video games were just starting to come out okay? so that tells you how old I was and video games of my own okay? I hadn't even kissed a girl yet okay? and so I, I, I didn't want Jesus to come again because there were so many things of this world that I wanted to live for and folks don't, don't we get caught up in that sometimes don't we get caught up in the things that we want in this life? Oh, the, 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 the glory of what it will be when we meet Jesus face to face. That, that awesome time where we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That the time of, uh, where we will spend uh, all of eternity with him, ruling and reigning with him. Folks, let me encourage you. Invest in that eternity and not here. But, but look at the last verse. Look at verse 14. And here, it answers the question. Why would Jesus give himself for us? Why, why would Jesus do that? Why, why would Christ give himself for us? Who gave himself for us? That he might redeem us from, a, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Ladies and gentlemen, and God, or Jesus, gave himself for us so that we could live a holy life, so that we could be conformed to his image. He, he didn't save us so that we can have, have comfort, although he gives us comfort. He didn't save us so that we, uh, we would have rest, although he blesses us and gives us rest. His purpose in saving us was so that we would be holy, and conform to him in his image. And I want you to think about that last phrase for just a second. Zealous for good works. Zealous for doing good things, for living a godly life here on this earth. We're zealous about a lot of things. We're zealous about sports. Okay? I, there have been some times when my, my voice has 
raised to a certain level when a, a call didn't go my way on the on a basketball game or watching on TV. Okay, um, I've never met an official that had good eyesight. Okay, we are zealous over sports. We're zealous over our kids. We're zealous in our planning for for vacations and leisure. We're, we're zealous for that next hobby or project in our life. It's not why Jesus saved us. He saved us so that we could be zealous, actively pursuing with zeal good works. Okay? Now, I, 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 I want you to get this as part of your daily living. Okay? I, I, I know we're, we're, we're Christians. Many of us have, have been in church for, for, for many years, and we know this theologically. We know this in our minds, but, but let me ask you, are you living zealously for holiness in your life? Think about tomorrow when you, you wake up. Think about the, the, the activities that you have in your life. Are you truly living zealously to be Christ-like in your life? Have you put the activities and the, um, the time in your life to pursue Christ with zeal instead of pursuing everything else that this world has to offer? Pursuing Christ, Christ's grace. True, holy living. That saving grace, that grace that has appeared to all men because of that amazing, unmerited love and favor poured out on us in Calvary, and because of the purpose of this grace was to bring us into Christ-likeness, our only response is to live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's holiness internally, holiness out, outside, and holiness to God in this present age. Not when you get to heaven, right now. Pursuing good works zealously through the dependence on Christ not as a means of salvation, but in grateful response to Christ's great grace. Could I have every head bowed and every closed and no one looking around? This, this message was mainly to Christians tonight, but you, you may be here tonight and you've never experienced the grace of Christ for your sal- salvation. If you're here tonight and you've, you've never personally placed your, your faith in Christ, you, you can know that your sins are forgiven. You, you can know that you're on your way to heaven by placing your faith in that Christ who died on the cross for you. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor Ryan, I've, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. There's never been a time in my life where I, I knew I was a sinner. There's never been a time in my life when I, I, I knew that Christ um, died for me and I placed my faith in him as my only hope for salvation. And I... Pastor Ryan, would you, would you pray for me tonight? I, I, I'd love to talk to somebody about that. With every head bowed and every head closed, would you just raise your hand? Uh, put it up, put it right down. I, I've, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, but I'd like to talk to somebody about that tonight. Christians, okay, this message was for you. Are you presuming on the grace of Christ? When you, when you look at your daily life, is it characterized? by zealously pursuing Christ-likeness? Or are you pursuing the things of this world? Grace isn't a license to do whatever you want. Grace is actually an encouragement to deny those worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly. I'm going to close in prayer.
And, and, and as, as I do, maybe you need to do business with God. Maybe there's some things that need to change about your everyday life. Might be so, something as simple as spending more time in God's word. Might be something like getting rid of some activities that are leading you away or distracting you from living zealously for the Lord. As I close this in a word of prayer, you do business with God as we pray. Dear Lord.